Welcome to today's message from Transformation Church with Pastor Troy Ferguson. Well, as I mentioned, Pastor Jim's not here, and uh, we're going to do something a little different today. I always say that, I think, when I, when I speak. Um, well, I'm gonna, we're going to do a couple different activities as well, so it'll keep you awake, and it'll keep you alert, and if you fall asleep, I'll call you up front. That's how that works. So, you glad to be here today? All right. You know, one of the things that uh, I have found is um, decisions, decisions is something we all have to face. We all have to make some easy, some difficult, some challenging, but it's not something anyone can get away from. Decisions are something we all have to face. So today we're going to talk about decisions, decisions. That's the title of my message. We make decisions based upon information given about a situation, then we determine how to respond to that. Based upon our knowledge, we we might have to take a course of action, we might have to say something or not say something or do something, but whatever it is, we all have a a, a level of information that we're responding to. So as we begin, we're going to do a little activity to test your decision-making ability. Now let me ask you this. I've been here on staff since uh, 2003. How many of you think you know me pretty well? Really? (laughs) Well, well, I'll tell you what. Here's what we're going to do. We'll see how well you know me. We're going to do a little activity called Two Truths and a Lie. I'm going to give you three statements about myself, and you need to figure out which one is the lie. So the first one is this. When I was 21, I was pulled over for driving erratically with a van full of teenagers. The police made me walk the line as if it was a DUI in front of the whole youth group in the van. That's one. That was one of the most humiliating activities I've ever been involved in. So that was the first thing. Second thing. Second statement. When I was 12, my dad earned a trip to Hawaii for two because of his many years at work. And he decided to take me with him. This was an event that I will cherish. And I've never been on a trip that has meant as much to me as that one event when I was 12 years old. The third statement. I quickly fall asleep anywhere, including standing up or in the middle of a conversation with my wife. (laughs) This is not something that she is very fond of. Let me just tell you that. Now, three statements. Two of those are facts. Two of those are truths. One is a lie. So let me ask you this. Who of you think the first one was a lie? When I was 21, I was pulled over. How many of you think that was a lie? Okay. Okay. How many of you believe that when I was 12, I had the honor of going to Hawaii with my dad? How many of you think that's a lie? Okay. Number three, I quickly fall asleep anywhere. How many of you think that's a lie? Wow, Okay. Well, when I asked how many of you think you know me, like four of you raised your hand. <laughs> but, in fact, you know me better than you think you do, because the one that was a lie was indeed, when I was 12, my dad earned a trip to Hawaii. I didn't, I, 
I didn't say I was going to explain any of these. I just said they were true statements. Um, now, if my dad would earn a trip to Hawaii, I'm sure he would have taken me with him. <laughs> now, we look at this, and I want to get back to the topic, decisions. You made a decision based upon some information that you had. Some of you felt that you knew me well enough to say, or maybe you knew my dad well enough to say, that that second statement was the lie. Some of you had a hard time believing that I was pulled over at the age of 21 with a van full of kids. Um, I, I saw especially a handful over here. It must have been the Tyrone crew. You guys... Um, <laughs> But um, that was indeed true. Unfortunately, when I was a youth pastor, um, we were coming home from a Michael W. Smith concert. How many remember Michael W. Smith? We don't hear a lot about him a whole lot these days, but we were coming home from a Michael W. Smith concert, and I um, missed an exit, and I was trying to get a way around it, and just so happened the police saw that, and they saw me driving and pulled me over, and literally, the van's here. All the kids are sitting looking out the window, and literally, I'm walking the line <laughs> as they're all watching. Now, thank God in 1991, 92, not everyone had a cell phone and social media, <laughs> because that would have been one of those things that probably went viral. What we're going to talk about, you know, the calling of disciples is something that's very well document, documented. We are very familiar with the call of most of our disciples as we read about in Scripture. Throughout John, we actually see the calling of uh, Peter and Andrew and, um, and John. And then we, um, we're going to dive into what happens next. This is something that we don't hear a, a lot about, starting in John 1, 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. So now we have these three, these three guys. We have Philip, Andrew, and Peter. Pretty much Jesus comes to them and says, follow me. And in that moment, they drop what they're doing to follow him. Now understand, when, when they drop what they're doing, it's not just they drop what they're doing that day. They drop what they're doing in life to follow him. Sometimes when, when we're doing something and we feel God prompting us, we may say, okay, I'll inconvenience myself for the day and I'll, I'll stop doing this and I'll, I'll go respond to that. But these guys, this is the first type of follower that I want to talk about today. These guys were followers that dropped everything they were doing, their lifestyle, everything to follow him. Now what we see here in the next part here so Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Now, we look at this and we think, boy, that's awfully negative. How can a, someone who's about to be a disciple be that negative, be that condescending, if you will? And, and let me just explain a little bit of, of the history. Nathaniel is from Cana, and, and Cana is a, is a somewhat neighboring city to Nazareth, and, and their mentality of Nazareth was very, very negative. Matter of fact, they would look at maybe Cana would be something that would be a little more upscale, where, where Nazareth was more of the boondocks or, or redneck or 
backwoods type of thing. When we use those kind of terms, that's what their perception of, of, Can- of Nazareth was, what was like. So nothing of significance came out of this place. That was what he was taught. That was the information he was given. So whenever, whenever Philip says, come check this out. We have found the one they, they talked about in the, in the prophets and Moses talked about, Jesus of Nazareth. Nathaniel's first response is, can anything good, not, not necessarily attacking Jesus per se, but just anything good come from Nazareth. What I like about this is Nathaniel, even in his mentality, even in his thought process of what he developed and learned, he was still somewhat open. Here we see Philip says to him, come and see. See, sometimes we can, we can judge a book by its cover. That's something that's very common in today's culture, and it was something not uncommon in that culture. Whenever you have a, a people in a community that teaches you something about another, uh, another town or another school or another community, that's something that becomes ingrained in you. And, and even though you might have that thought process growing up, you, you still need to always be aware that you're, you're with limited information. And then what happens here is, is Philip says, just come and see. And he says, okay, I still think this way, but I'm going to come with an open mind. We must be open to the whole story. The next section we see here is, when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And what that word means, there's nothing false or trickery. There's no subtlety. There's no comparison, manipulation. He is a man who tells it like it is. So when, when Jesus, right away, when Jesus approaches him and says, here is a man who is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. He tells it like it is. Nathaniel, obviously recognizing his personality, he says, how do you know me? Nathaniel asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Now check this out. Initially, Nathaniel, in other gospels, his name is referred to as Bartholomew. So there's, a, there's different references to this, this, this character, this specific d- disciple. But in, in this situation, he goes into this with a, a mentality that there's nothing significant that can come out of this town. You know, we've heard stories in different times of, of maybe people spoke that over you. There's nothing significant that's going to come out of your family. Pastor Henry, we've heard his testimony. People used to say nothing significant can come out of the Schaefer home. Well, Pastor Henry broke that little rumor, that little situation. And we, all, we need to understand that even though that, that might be spoken of a city, of a community, of a people, of an individual, that doesn't mean that's the whole story. And just like Nathaniel had limited understanding of those in Nazareth, specifically Jesus, he now sees that, okay, I've experienced Jesus for myself. I'm not relying on what everyone else has told me about those from Nazareth. I've experienced him for myself. And now I see it's different. He is significant. He is the Messiah. He is the one that they talked about in the prophetic books. Nathaniel, as I mentioned, was from Cana. Now, remembering that people of that town, of that city, 
had a derogatory approach to those in Nazareth. I think it's interesting that Jesus takes the, the, the opportunity here to reveal himself to an individual. That happens in John chapter 1. John chapter 2, there's something else that happens. We know it as the wedding or the first miracle of Jesus. Do you know where that happened? Cana. So what we see here is we see Cana who, who looked at people from Nazareth as being insignificant, backwoods, redneck, if you will. I'm just using those terms because that's kind of how we think sometimes of people that might not have significance because of our limited understanding. So at this wedding, think of it this way, one of the most prestigious, beautiful events in a family. And what's happening, as we know, that, that the, uh, the, the wine is running out before the, the main part of the, the wedding feast, and um, Jesus' mother, Mary, wants, him, wants Jesus to do something about it. Everyone, I think, knows this story. What happens is that, that Mary tells the, uh, some of the servants, tell, do whatever he tells you to do. Jesus says, go get some, some pitchers of water. Now, think about this. If we relate this to the understanding of how they looked at people from Nazareth, think of this. Think at your, maybe one of your family weddings. Maybe if you're a little older, if you have a son or daughter that got married, typically these events are very, very formal, beautiful, and, and, and upscale. And just think as, you know, second cousin, you know, Billy Bob <laughs> says, you know what? They're out of food. I'm going to go back to the kitchen. I'll take care of it. It's something of that nature where Jesus... So when, when they bring these pictures out, I believe that the people of Cana had the same viewpoint as Nathaniel did. So when they brought these pictures out, we know the story, and, 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 and Jesus changed, instantaneously changed the water to wine. They took it out. They said that everybody brings the best wine out first, but you, you wait to the end, and you bring because of what Jesus just did. We all know the story. It's known as his first recorded miracle. So what just happened here? Jesus individually reveals himself to Nathaniel changes his whole perception of those from Nazareth. Then, one chapter later, he actually reveals himself to an entire community that had that same perception. So sometimes we might look at someone or someone might look at us as a certain uh, significance or insignificance or someone may have told you that you don't have this ability and you don't have this qualification. Whatever those are, when we have a, a in, in the spirit realm, whenever we have a true encounter with Jesus, qualifications and all that kind of stuff kind of goes out the window. Significance be comes because of him, not because of our degrees and abilities, but because of him. So that's what we are seeing here. And I think it's cool how he did it to him individually. Then we see a community change. Now, let's just get back to the, the, the story here, this, looking at this. Nathaniel is, is the second type of follower that I want to talk about. The first type of follower I mentioned was those who just drop everything, leave, and go. Nathaniel, which is actually probably a little more like most of us, Nathaniel's a little more calculated in his decision-making. He's not just going to take your word for it. If he were to take a, a personality test that we have today, he'd be one that was a protector, one that who respects established traditions and laws. But with that, even with that, a personal encounter with Jesus enabled him to trust him completely. Now, the thing that we read about 
about Nathaniel is from this point forward, there was no more doubt. There was no more question. He moved as a radical servant and, and follower and disciple of Jesus. The fig tree statement that we just saw here was likely at his home. Jesus says, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. What, what he was saying here, the significance of this is I, in the, in the prophetic realm, I saw you while you were praying. Scholars believe they were, he was praying for the, the, the purpose and hope of Jerusalem and their community. And Jesus is saying, I saw you in that moment when no one was around. I saw you under that fig tree. That spoke volumes to him, which allowed him to change his perception of this man from Nazareth. At that point, he followed him, he believed, and he became one of the most significant disciples, even though we don't read much about him. Look at this next part here. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. Then he added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is said to be the first promise given to a disciple. Many of the disciples followed him and many of those learned, but this is the, the first recorded indication where Jesus said something to him. You will experience this. This is in a sense, a, this, is in a, this is a understanding in the spirit realm. This isn't a, a physical visualization, but in the spirit realm, kind of like the um, Jacob's ladder story of, of the, the ascending and descending of God's power, God's authority, God's purposes. And that's what he's saying. You will see, you will experience this. Nathaniel is said to have traveled to India and Armenia and recorded to be one of the first to take a form of Matthew's gospel to the nations. He was known as someone who had some intelligence, intellect. So it wasn't someone who just didn't have any knowledge of history, of church and religion, but he understood this and he experienced Jesus and knew him and recognized him as Messiah. Now, why am I pulling in this relatively unknown disciple? Remember, we're talking about decisions. Once you become a follower of Christ, decisions are now based upon the Holy Spirit's prompting. Too often we wait and overthink situations in which God has asked us to respond. Once we are a follower of Christ, we should understand and hear his voice. Now let me explain this. Nathaniel's personality of one being more logical, one being calculated in his decisions, showed us that it needed to be shown to him or proven to him of why he, he should respond and believe in Jesus. As I mentioned, once that encounter took place, we don't see another time where, where he had difficulty making those decisions. We don't see anywhere where it says, Nathaniel waited back while the rest of them went forward. There's nothing to indicate that he hesitated after that. Why do I say that? For us as believers, and I'm just going to speak to you believing that most in here are, are believers, Christians. For us as believers, once we have an encounter with Jesus, when, he, when the Holy Spirit prompts us to do something or respond to something, we should, because we trust him, we should move immediately in that realm. Does that mean that we always have to, 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 to do something or move? 
No, but in some cases, we make a decision that I'm going to change something in my family, in my life, in my job. Do you realize that, that typically the decision in of itself, even though it's the first part, the decision in of itself is typically pretty easy. It's the follow-up that's challenging. The decision to do something or not to do something is, is typically laid out in front of us. But I believe that many times the Spirit of God will prompt us and speak to us to make a decision on something, and we, we sit back and say, well, I'm just not too sure about that. You know, we are a culture that, that has trouble with commitment. We, we see this in, in many situations in jobs. If you have a job and you work there for three, four, five, six months, and eh, the boss said something or did something you don't like, what do we do? We quit. As a culture, I'm not saying you do, because I believe everybody here is hardworking, you know, full of ethics and, and power and good work, work ethics. But there are some that, that say, you know what, this, this, this job isn't working for me. I'm out of here. How about relationships? We get married a year, two years into it. This is a little more difficult than I anticipated. I think I'm going to try someone else. Now, granted, we may not say that, but come on. In a culture, we know that everything is about convenience. So commitment is really, I'm committing to this until something better comes along. I'm committing to this until I'm tired of it, until it's uncomfortable. You know, a generation ago, and I realize culture is different, but a generation ago, when people took a job, many times they were in that job for their entire career, 30, 40 years many times. Today, many adults, especially those who are young, in their 20s, 30s, and 40s, many adults can have 12 or 13, 14, 15 different careers in their time of working. It's just so different. Some of that is culture. Some of that is lack of commitment. So what we see here is, going back to Nathaniel, he made a commitment. Once he encountered Jesus, he made a commitment, and he never turned back. And you may say, Troy, I have a, I have a hard time trusting the reason I don't make commitments means I don't make those decisions because I just can't trust. We hear the statement, trust has to be earned, right? Has anybody ever heard that statement? Trust needs to be earned. Here, here's the thing. I, I, um, I heard a quote not too long ago, and I thought it was pretty cool, from Craig Rochelle. Trust is extended. Mistrust is earned. Trust is extended. Mistrust is earned. You see, we should go into situations with people, especially as believers, we should go into situations trusting their word, believing the best for them and the best from them. And if they tell us something, we're going to trust them. We don't have to say, well, you know what? I don't really know you. Give me six months and we'll you know, have lunch once a week and then I'll see if I'll trust you. It shouldn't be like that. We should extend trust. Now, there are situations where people burn us, and that's where mistrust is actually earned. You say, Troy, you don't understand what I went through when I was a child, and, and I had situations I trusted people, and they always, they abused me, they hurt me. Therefore, now I don't trust anybody. And I understand that. Psychologically, I understand that. But the reality of it is, 
The person that's in prison, the person that's hurting is yourself. You're not hurting everyone else by not trusting anybody. You're hurting yourself. Trust needs to be extended. Mistrust is earned. Now, it's on the back of the decision discussion on decisions. Because decisions, a decision to trust is significant. Just like we saw Nathaniel trusted Jesus. Once he had that encounter, he trusted Jesus. Now, I said a few moments ago that whenever you make a decision, if it's prompted by the Holy Spirit, you should make a decision at that moment. Yes, no, go, don't go, whatever it is. Make a decision at that moment. And then allow the Holy Spirit to help you follow through with that. You see, it's, a, it's an understanding that when the Holy Spirit prompts you, at that moment, your heart is open to receive what he is directing you to. You're, you're open to making that decision. If we don't make a decision in that moment, many times the enemy will come in and say, you know what, that really wasn't the Spirit of God. Look at the very beginning of time. God says to Eve, don't eat of that tree. That was fact. That was, we, we know that. But in, in time, Satan comes and says, did he really say that? As time went on, did he, he just doesn't want you to be like him. And if we, if we look at a situation, we say, God, I feel you prompted me to do something or say something, and, and we just don't do it. We think, I got to think on it. I got to pray on it. I got to fast on it. Many times the enemy will come in and say, you know what? That's just not that big of a deal. Somebody else will do it. Somebody else will step up. Now, the concept of this is nothing new in our culture. The concept of immediate decision-making when it's prompted by the Spirit is nothing new. The secular world uses it all the time. The need, necessity for immediate decision-making. I'll give you an example. If you've ever gone to buy a car, you see a car, you have an emotional tie to a vehicle. You're looking at it, it's beautiful, it's exactly what you want. When the salesman comes and talks to you about that, you, you may say, ah, oh, you know what, I need to think about it. Does he say, okay, well, just let me know what you decide. I've never, ever had one salesman do that. And not just car salesmen. If anyone's a car salesman, I'm not picking on you. It, it's typically sales of any sort. What they want to do is because you are having an immediate response, an emotional response, they want you to make a decision at that moment because they know that is the best time for you to make that call. They know that if you leave and you go home and talk to your spouse and you go home and look at your budget and you go home and do this and do that, more than likely they're not going to see you again. So what they want to do is everything they can to keep you there and to work with you or at least make you think they're working with you and to make a decision to make that commitment. I believe in, in many ways that same concept the Holy Spirit works to say, I want you to do something about that now. And too often we take, <laughs> believe it or not, we take a spiritual approach and say, oh, I need to, I need to go pray about this. I need, to, you know, I need to fast about it. I'll give you an example. It might be something as simple as you're in a room with people talking. And the conversation has taken a, a slant to be very negative, gossip or rumor oriented. Maybe they're, they're taking a bit of misinformation about someone and talking about them. And God says, I want you to change the atmosphere of that room right now. I want you to change that conversation. If you don't do it immediately, 
it's not going to get done. You can't say, okay, you know, I'm going to go pray about this. And tomorrow when I come to work, I'm going to start the conversation off in a positive way. That might be good, but that's not what God asked you to do. How many, how many teenagers do we have that are going to the camp? One, two, three. Okay, I want to tell you guys something. In the late 80s, this, this has a point with the message, I promise. In the late 80s, I went to a camp very similar to what you guys are doing today. I went to a camp. When I went to that camp, I had every plan, every desire to have a future in something such as engineering or mathematical or something. That was what I desired. That's what I loved. During that camp, allowing God to minister, I made a decision that camp, God prompted me that day to go into ministry, and it changed my life. So I tell you kids, you students that are going to camp today, God may speak to you this week and change your your whole plan. And all I can say is be open to it. God will work it out. He may call some of you to ministry that right now you have no intention of being involved in ministry. And you may think, I don't think I can handle that. I'm not a public speaker. I'm not this. I'm not that. I promise you that when you respond to his call, he will equip you to fulfill his purpose and his call on you. So those of you that are going to camp today, let me just encourage you. We pray blessing and covering and protection. But also I pray that the anointing of God sweeps that place and we see a bunch of preachers and worship leaders and youth pastors and missionaries come out of this camp. Amen. Now you say, Troy, you're, you're, the way you're talking about, you know, these decisions and changing your life. Listen, all I'm saying is when you're doing something and the Spirit prompts you, make a decision and take necessary steps to follow through with it. You don't always know the, the end result. You don't always know the, how it's going to work out. But if you've encountered Jesus and you can trust him, and trust me, you can trust him, he will walk you through it. Do you believe it? Now, I want to show you another, you know, little illustration. I need, I need a few people to help me with this one. I need two people that's comfortable throwing a ball and catching it. Two people. Nothing hard, nothing fast, but two people that can simply throw a ball and catch it. No one in here can throw a ball. All right. All right, Jen and Chuck. Chuck, you stand about right there. Jen, you come over here. Right there, right there. That's good. That's good. All right, here. Throw that to her. And back. And back. Okay, here you go. All right, so we got the first two. Now, I need a third volunteer. You don't need to catch, but you need to be trusting. Someone who's trusting. An adult. I'm not going to make you do anything about it. We've got people leaving because we're asking for volunteers. I see how it is. You know, whenever you ask for volunteers, it's always funny. Everyone's like, oh, I've got to look at my watch. I can't make eye contact. All right, come on up here, Joel. 
Now, Julie, you stand right here. On the step? Yep, right in the step, right there. Now, what I want you guys to do is you're going to throw it back and forth. And when I tell you, I want you to walk down the middle aisle. You just take three, four steps. Okay? Go ahead. Go. Okay, that's good. Come on back. Now, that seemed pretty simple. Now, whenever you throw it, you both throw it at the same time. Let's see if you can do it. Go ahead. Okay. Now, the object of this, it needs to be in a place that could hit her to work. Not yet. Not yet. You just stay there. But they were throwing it really high. Jen was using a strategy and thinking, you know. So throw it. Okay. All right. Now, when I tell you to go, I want you to go. Ready? Go. All right. Now, here's what's happening. We, do you need help? We see this situation where there's, there's turmoil going on, but I'm telling Julie, I'm representing the Holy Spirit. I'm t- telling her when to walk. But the thing is, she can kind of see the surroundings. So she doesn't really have to trust me. She don't have to have a lot of faith because even though she's responding to when I tell her, she's still walking within her logical understanding of things, right? Now, I hope I don't mess up your hair. I don't care, my hair is... Okay, all right. I got this from Pastor Chris, so these must be used on small kids. One step. One step. Okay, yeah. So now, you have one step, and I just want you to take three or four steps because I don't want you to run into anybody. I'll tell you when. Okay, go. You, not you, not you. Go. Okay. All right. Now, go ahead and take that off. Here's what we see. We see, you guys can go ahead and sit down. Thank you. Thank you. Here's what we see in this little illustration. It's easy to make decisions based upon something you are hearing from God when you know the surrounding circumstances and you pretty much know the outcome. Right? It's a little more challenging to do it when you have no idea what's going to happen when you step out. She fully trusted me and thank God that it worked out because that would not have been a good illustration. She fully trusted me to respond, and she got through the turmoil. She made her way through the challenges that were surrounding her. In a similar way, we as believers hear the voice of God through people talking to us through our prayer time, through something we read in Scripture, and it says, move, even though you don't know exactly what all is going to happen. You know, we, we hear a lot about dreams and, and, and purpose and, and plan for your life. Let me tell you, whenever God reveals something to you, and you say, you know what, this is something God has burned down in my heart that I feel that he wants me to accomplish, he wants me to do. It might be go back to school, it might be a change of career, it might be ministry, whatever it might do, might be. I believe in that moment 
the, the time and the discipline after that are some of the most challenging and difficult things that we have to walk through to fulfill what God put on our heart. I promise you, if it is something significant that God places on your heart, I promise you it will not be easy breezy getting to that point. If it was, everybody would be doing it. Everybody would be walking in the fulfillment of their purpose, and everybody would be walking in their, their calling. But the reality of it is, when God calls us and he prompts us to do something, to say something, to change something, the reality of it is, the discipline after the fact is what is the most challenging thing to do. And I challenge you today, I challenge you that as the Spirit of God prompts you, just like Nathaniel, when you encounter Jesus and you know you've had an encounter with God, and whenever he prompts you, I challenge you to say, I'm going to do that. I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't know how I'm going to get the money. I don't know how I'm going to get the resources. I don't know how I'm going to get the education, but I'm going to start doing it today. Four years ago, and I know I talk about this a lot, and I apologize. Four years ago, the Lord put on my heart something about uh, movies and film and television. And I have spent four years learning and developing and growing in that. But every single day, when I think about it, I say, like, hey, God, what is it you want me to do in this realm today? What is it you want me to learn in this realm today? It is challenging. It is difficult. Sometimes I think we have this mentality that when God reveals a dream to you, get ready, because in two weeks, you're launching it. That's not always how it works. Sometimes it may. I'm not saying it can't work that way. But many times God says, now, now we start the work. Now we start the process. And I want to challenge you that you're looking at what God's put on your heart. And, and even if it is something, and I, and I am a firm believer in this, even if it is something as far as changing the conversation at your workplace, changing the conversation. Pastor Jim has been talking about this. I've talked about this. And this is one of the things on my heart about the whole Join the City television program, that we're going to change the conversation about my city. Too much junk and too much news talks about all the bad stuff that happens in a city, all the bad stuff that happens in families, all the bad and negative stuff that happens in schools. It's time that someone stands up and says, here is what God is doing that is good, that is positive, that is beneficial to our community. As we begin to have that mentality, we walk into every situation differently. See, we, we used to walk into situations like Nathaniel, skeptical. I don't know if this is going to work out. I don't know if, if you have what it takes. I don't know if this is going to pan out. I'm not going to put my trust in this. But because Jesus has transformed our life, we can say, you know what? I don't know how it's going to happen, but I believe that this is a, this is a call of God. I believe this is the direction of God. You know, when Pastor Jim, Pastor Jim is, is of the mentality of, um, of an entrepreneur, even though he's a pastor. Many times entrepreneurs will look at situations and say, here's what we can do to make this better. Here's what we can do to, to impact the city. It's much bigger than just our, our home, much, much bigger mentality than our church. And even though it's about impacting a city, it will impact a church. It will impact an individual in the process of impacting a city. You know, because of that, sometimes Pastor Jim might, might reveal something and say, here's what I feel God's put on my heart. And you and I might look at it and say, wow, really? 
Now, let me tell you something I know about Pastor Jim, and he actually didn't tell me to say this. One thing I know about Pastor Jim is before he brings it to you, he has just taken multiple days, weeks, and months, prayed about it, talked through it. He often talks to me and the staff about different ideas and concepts. And what about this? What about that? And sometimes, I'll tell you what, as a staff, we, you know, Pastor John, Pastor Chris, anybody in staff could, you say, wow, really? Okay. (laughs) And sometimes we talk through things, but by the time he reveals it to the church and everything, it's been, it's been hashed over and talked through and prayed through. And you may say, well, I don't know about that. Have you thought about this? Yep. Have you thought about that? Yep. What about, what about the money? I don't know. This is, this is stuff that he'll say. And the reason I tell you this is because we have seen time and time again that God is faithful as we have stepped out in faith in situations. Therefore, we can trust in what God is leading because trust is extended. We don't have to have trust proven to us. I'm not sure why. This is not in my notes. This is not what I plan to say. But I, I am saying this to say there are situations, whether it be work, whether it be family, whether it be um, your neighborhood, there are situations where God is going to reveal things to you to make a change. And I, I, I believe very specifically the decision, the first decision is a simple one, just to make a change of the discussions and the atmosphere around you. In time, you might see much bigger things, much greater things. Just like Jesus said to Nathaniel, you will see things in a supernatural way that no one's ever seen before. I I make you that promise. Well, I believe God is telling us today, you will see things as you trust, as you put your faith in him, as you move immediately and make decisions immediately when the spirit prompts you, you will see things that you've never seen before. Do you believe that? Nathaniel was taught early on with incomplete information. He made decisions about Jesus and those from Nazareth with incomplete information. Earlier today, I gave you two truths and a lie. Many times, the way the enemy works is he'll give you two-thirds truth and one-third deceit or lies in what he's trying to influence you in. And no matter how much lies and deceit, it corrupts the whole thing. You know, the enemy doesn't come at us with complete deception and complete lies because we can see that. But if he can come to us and say, well, you know, just like I mentioned earlier, he did with Eve. You know that, that God doesn't want you to take a, a bite from that tree from the fruit of that tree because you will see, you will understand good and evil. You will experience this. And there's truth in that. But the lie was the motivation behind it. God was doing it to protect and and give guidance. The enemy was saying, you're limited. You don't have what you need. So the enemy works in ways that he'll take the truth of what we know, he'll take scriptures, he'll manipulate them, he'll change them for his purposes to say, well, you, you don't have what it takes to accomplish this. And my challenge with us today is to recognize that he is a liar. Even if it's one-third lie, it's still a lie. 
And what we used in that first example is something that we can remember. Even there's a little bit of truth. If there's still a lie, it's still wrong. And today what I want to do, we're going to take communion here in just a moment. And as I prayed about what we're, how we're going to wrap this up, um, talking about decisions, I want to sing a song that I believe everyone knows in here. There's going to, not going to be any words. It's a simple song. It's an old song. And if you know it, just close your eyes and sing this with me. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Sing that again. Close your eyes. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no. No turning back. Stand with me as we sing this next part. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. Mm. That's a simple but significant song. I have decided. Though, though none may follow, though none go with me, still I will follow. Today we talked about following Jesus, making decisions to respond to Jesus. And I pray as we sang that, and I pray as you heard this today, that today God's prompting certain things even in your life and saying, okay, here's something I, I'm prompting you to make a decision on today. Maybe even before you leave today, he's saying, I want you to go to pray with this person. I want you to go minister to this person. Maybe when you go home today, you need to pick up the phone and make a phone call. Tomorrow when you go to work, there might be an atmosphere of, of chaos, and it's Monday, and everybody's depressed on a Monday morning. And God may be saying, I want you to change the atmosphere of that office. I look forward to hearing stories of how you respond to what God's prompting you. And my challenge is that you make that commitment, you make that decision, and you follow through with it and take the necessary steps to follow through. Just like we've made a decision to follow Christ, one of the things that we do in that is we do communion. We take communion. This is an opportunity that, that we can all come together and celebrate Jesus and what he did on the cross through communion.